Gotta get my music going. Sorry, guys. A little disorganized tonight. A little grumpy as well. I hurt my back. <laughs> hurt my back. So I've been a little grumpy pants all day. But what's up, y'all? Welcome in. Happy Monday. I'll get the music going. I think it's off. Um, I know y'all love the music in the background. <laughs> Help me hide my disgusting voice from y'all. Welcome in. Happy Monday again. I am Sean Corey. All my links are at libertylinks.io slash Jonathan Corey. S-E-A-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-R-Y. Find my website.com, SeanathanCorey.com, all the things, all the links. What's up? What's going on, y'all? Welcome in. Thank you for tuning in. What's going on, Facebook? We got two people watching on Facebook. What's going on? Uh one on DLive, and it looks like I am back on YouTube. It looks like YouTube finally let me back in. <laughs> took like four weeks, but they let me back on. I appealed, uh, didn't hear anything back, but apparently they let me back on, at least streaming live. We'll see if I can even post this later on. And we'll see how much longer I last in general. <laughs> we'll see how much longer I just last in general. It's probably, my days there are probably numbered. This is probably the final year I'm allowed of there. Or gonna be on there. Took two of my streams down. I guess three now total. Three total streams down. And uh, yeah, took my live streaming abilities away, my posting abilities. But no despair. We're gonna keep crushing no matter what. We're gonna find the alternative platforms that will allow me to say stuff and things. Like tonight, we're talking about uh, something that I sort of spilled the beans on a little bit over. Um, the last few months, my last few guest streams I did, kind of brought it up and mentioned it and talked about it. I've been talking about it a lot, just in general, in my life, with my my friends. So sorry, <laughs> you guys who are tuning in, either welcome to hear my full, total breakdown, my, my total, full ramble on the topic, the entire rant, your, the rant in its entirety. Um, so either welcome... <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you enjoy or I'm sorry that I keep uh, bringing this up to you but uh, we're gonna do a whole stream where I share my thoughts about just society and cities and the dangers of living too comfortably and without conflict and we're gonna start off here if you're in the chat if y'all are with me here in the chat feel free to send me comments or questions you have along the way we're gonna play some 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 clips I'm gonna ramble at the end, I'm going to share some pics and ramble about those as well. Um, so yeah, what's up? I got three Twitch stream viewers. That's that's insane, y'all. That's insane. As you know, I always have one. <laughs> I always have one person. Whoever is the one person on Twitch always watching. But apparently tonight I have three. I think that's a new record over on Twitch. So what's up, y'all? What's up, Twitch? 07's in the chat for Twitch. What's going on? Also, somehow, surprisingly, not banned on Twitch yet. Um, and we're growing. We're growing. We have quad. We have tripled our numbers <laughs> overnight. We have tripled our numbers over on Twitch. Um, and they're commenting. What's going on? Someone says, "Heyo, anointed, anointed Eno Ch Chap, ninety-two verse twelve. <laughs> maybe I'd, 
Am I having a stroke right now or can I not read that name? <laughs> Anointed Eno Cha Chap Cha Chap 92 verse 12. Okay, what's going on? Hey yo, what's on? Oh, 07's in the chat for my new Twitch stream viewers. He says I am having a stroke. Enoch. Oh, good call. Good call. Yeah, I was having a stroke there and not able to read that name. Anointed Enoch Chap, 92, verse 12. Post that verse for me in the, in the chat. Post, the, post that verse for me and I'll read it in the chat. Uh, anointed Enoch Chap, 92, verse 12. <laughs> post in the chat and I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. Um, <laughs> how could I have been so dumb? How could I be so stupid? <laughs> Anointed Enoch. But what's up? Welcome in. Welcome in Twitch. What's going on? I love my Twitch. I love my three. You, you all know I love my one Twitch stream viewer, whoever he or she is. Love them to death. They're here always, <laughs> every week without fail. I have that one. Uh, sometimes, like on a very rare occasion, I'll have that second viewer. That second viewer. And sometimes it's my friend Trey popping in. Um, but man, three. Pfft, breaking records over here. Breaking records tonight. What's going on? And, and texting and chatting. Man. Man, I'm blowing up on Twitch, guys. Look out. Look out, Twitch. <laughs> Look out, Twitch. I'm coming in hot. I'm coming in hot for the charts, for the record charts over, over on your site. Um, get your little deer cosplayer people to come ban me or kick me off. But whatever, I'll stop rambling. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into the topic tonight. We'll get into it. We got a lot to unpack here. We're going to start off. We're going to play a couple clips here, and then I'm going to talk about it. So you can listen. They're pretty self-explanatory. Uh, if you're only listening, if you're only podcasting this episode later on. Um, and then um, if you're watching, enjoy. Hopefully. Kind of weird, but enjoy. <laughs> we'll talk to it. Talk about it. In 90s behavior and population control called John B. Calhoun built what was essentially a utopia for mice that was purpose-built to satisfy their every need. Despite going out of his way to ensure the inhabitants of his perfect mouse society never wanted for anything, within two years virtually the entire population was dead. So, what happened? Dubbed Universe 25, Calhoun's Mouse Utopia was built with the needs of its mouse inhabitants firmly in mind and was designed to specifically cater to their every whim. Containing plentiful food, water, bedding, and at least initially space, the enclosure was described as follows. A tank, 101 inches square, enclosed by walls 54 inches high. The first 37 inches of wall was structured so that the mice could climb up, but they were prevented from escaping by 17 inches of bare wall above. Each wall had 16 vertical mesh tunnels, called them stairwells, soldered to it. Four horizontal corridors opened off each stairwell, leading to four nesting boxes. This means 256 boxes in total, each capable of holding 15 mice. Well versed in rotor populations from dozens of previous experiments, something 
that's kind of apparent when you realize that the enclosure was called Universe 25, Calhoun anticipated that his mouse paradise could reliably and more importantly comfortably house 3,840 mice. Before that, though, he needed to pick the proverbial Adam and Eve of his mouse Garden of Eden. Calhoun eventually settled on four breeding pairs of mice specifically bred for the experiment and handpicked from the most healthy specimens from the National Institute of Health's own breeding colony. Now, before we get into discussing what happened next, we should give some background information about how this experiment came to be and what it was hoping to accomplish. Prior to creating Universe 25, Calhoun had performed a number of similar experiments with rodents that started all the way back in the 1940s. All of these ended in failure when the population either stalled or turned on itself. For example, in one experiment, Calhoun created an enclosure that could easily have housed 5,000 rats, but the eventual population never rose above 200 despite unlimited food, unlimited water, and a complete absence of any predators or any threats. Furthermore, Calhoun noticed that, again, despite ample space, his rodents would often crowd together, which resulted in a breakdown of social structure amongst the population. This unusual phenomenon led Calhoun to coin the phrase behavioral sink to describe what he felt was the inevitable collapse of any overpopulated society. Calhoun's experiments eventually caught the eye of the National Institute of Mental Health, or NIMH, who were intrigued about the observed effects of overpopulation in rodents, specifically if any of the observed phenomenon could be applied to humans. To this end, the NIMH gave Calhoun access to a small piece of land that they owned in Maryland and the funding that was needed to construct Universe 25. The stated goal of the experiment was simply to see whether a perfect society would flourish. Initially, the experiment it proved successful, and the mice lived in relative harmony, and within a year, the population of eight super-healthy mice had swelled to a respectable 620 members. Great care was taken to ensure the mice were taken care of. Food and water it was unlimited, which allowed the mice to eat or drink whenever they pleased, and there was always space and clean bedding available so females could rear young in peace and safety. Despite this, Calhoun noticed that after day 35 of the experiment, things started to go wrong. First of all, there was a noticeable drop in population growth. While initially the population of the mouse heaven had doubled every 55 days, after day 315 it doubled, according to Calhoun's notes, approximately every 145 days. This made little sense, as there was still ample space to house another 3,000 mice. In addition to a drop in population growth, Calhoun also noticed an abrupt change in behavior in both males and females. Social bonds broke down and male mice, without a reason to defend their territory or food source since both were plentiful, became dejected, forming cliques that randomly attacked one another for seemingly no reason. Females similarly began abandoning young or even attacked them, and slowly but surely both males and females simply stopped breeding. In the lead-up to this, certain of the male mice began continually mating with whatever mouse happened to be around, be it male or female. Many of the mice also began to simply kill and eat one another, despite the abundance of other food sources. Mothers also abandoned their babies. Mice would crowd together in groups of 50 or more in pens designed to hold 15 individuals, while pens with plentiful bedding sat completely empty, just inches away. Most intriguing of all were a small group of males and females who withdrew themselves from mouse society altogether to live in the upper levels of the enclosure that Calhoun described as the beautiful ones. These mice did nothing but sleep, eat, and groom themselves, and this gave them noticeably smoother-looking coats, which, along with their isolation, meaning no scars from attacks, led to their nickname. They seemingly lost interest in all meaningful social bonds and refused to interact or mate. The last birth in Universe 25 took place on day 600, and from that moment on, the population it slowly dwindled. Even when the population rescinded to levels where the mice had previously flourished, they refused to breed or go back to their old way of interacting. A few months later, all of the mice 
were dead. Calhoun noted that although the population had survived for many months afterwards, it had effectively died on the 315th day, the day the social bonds broke down, stating, Their spirit has died the first death. They are no longer capable of executing the more complex behaviors compatible with species survival. The species in such settings die. Calhoun saw his experiments as a warning bell for humanity, with his belief being that overpopulation would inevitably lead to social collapse and thus the extinction of the human race. Others have taken a less nihilistic view of his work and believe that his results are comparable to what would happen in a human society, as, after all, we are slightly more complex and self-aware creatures than mice. That said, what's often lost in Calhoun's work is what came after in which he continued to research and tweak environmental variables to try and find ways to keep the mice from going down the extinction path even as the population density grew. And, in fact, he had some success at this. For instance, in one case, via simply encouraging creativity in certain mice by various means. Giving them a sort of purpose here, it actually worked, with the creative mice continuing to thrive well beyond what would have otherwise been expected from the previous experiments. In the end, whatever one's opinion of whether Calhoun's work is actually relevant to humans, it's still kind of fascinating that a near-rodent utopia resulted in the mouse equivalent of the purge. The work of Dr. John Calhoun at the National Institute of Health in Washington, D.C. has attempted to answer this question. In a unique experiment that took years to complete, Dr. Calhoun used white mice to study population growth and its effects on individual behavior. In addition to his renowned research papers, he has recorded some of these observations on film. In this 16-cell mouse habitat, utopian conditions of nutrition, comfort, and housing were provided for a potential population of over 3,000 mice. Yet, in spite of ideal conditions, the mouse population met with catastrophe. Individuals were kept track of by color markings on their fur. Factors which normally control population growth, such as predation by owls or cats, were eliminated. Transmissible disease was also reduced. In effect, the mouse universe simulated the present situation of a continually expanding population of humans. To see how Dr. Calhoun's mouse universe grew, we'll use the familiar population graph again. Within the first 100 days, the mice went through the period Dr. Calhoun called strive. This was a period of adjustment. Territories were established and nests were made. The next period lasted about 250 days. The population of the mice doubled every 60 days. This was called the exploit period. The use of resources became unequal. Although each living unit was identical in structure and opportunities, more food and water was consumed in some areas. As the population increased, most mice associated eating and drinking with the presence of others, and crowding developed in certain units. The third period, consisting of 300 days, found the population of mice leveling off. This was called the equilibrium period. 
Dr. Calhoun noticed that the newer generations of young were inhibited, since most space was already socially defined. At this time, some unusual behavior became noticeable. Violence became prevalent. Excess males strived for acceptance, were rejected, and withdrew. Huddling together, they would exhibit brief flurries of violence among themselves. The effects of violence became The work of Dr. John arrived for acceptance. Alright, I don't know what's happening. Apparently my video's cutting off. So sorry about that. Let's try one more time. No? Just not working? Just not working? Alright, well you can look it up. Look, You can look up the rest of the video. It's on the internet. Sorry about that. It's all, it's all good on my computer. Apparently it's not working on OBS. But we'll get some music back in. And we'll talk about it. <laughs> look up the rest of that video on YouTube later on. You'll see, uh, you'll see, you'll see what's up. The, um, kind of gets dark there. The second video gets a little dark, so I wanted to start off with the first one that was more of an explanation, right? The uh, second video kind of takes like a little bit of like a pro-eugenic side <laughs> of things there at the very end, out of, out of nowhere. So I kind of wish it wasn't just like randomly ending, getting cut off. Um, but yeah, in general, just want to, I guess, start off by saying uh, human beings are not mice or rats or any other animal for that matter, right? We do share a lot of similarities physically and mentally at times as animals, right? We do share a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of the same things as we all have like God's fingerprints all over us, right? But we are nowhere close to the same spiritually. God created us different specifically and for uh, specific reasons, right? But it doesn't mean we can't learn some stuff from... Uh, this experiment or experiments with animals in general about our social behaviors, about tendencies we have, um, as we see these same sorts of behaviors happening in real life with real people <laughs> all over the place. And we'll get into that. I was going to say we didn't get to it. You can look up the rest of the video for yourself to see what I'm talking about. But the last line, like the very last line that woman gives, like this ominous warning almost in that second video is... Um, she says, we need to make decisions about our own human population so that we may maintain our own balance with nature. And I just really thought like the way she says it is so matter of fact that it's like it could either be like really gross and creepy or uh, just like a general statement of fact and a considerate suggestion. It's kind of like how you want to interpret it, like uh, like the intention behind it <laughs> and like the actual solutions being proposed uh, by these people uh, really matter, <laughs> really matter. Again, she says, and I quote, we need to make decisions about our own human population so that we may maintain our own balance with nature. 
And it's like that could just authentically be like a good suggestion. It could also be really gross and creepy from like a pro eugenicist, you know? From like Margaret Sanger. <laughs> but regardless of all that, though, regardless of all that, though, the why, the quote unquote why we are talking about this tonight. And the big problem here is that easy and reliable access to stuff and safety causes large population booms and then eventually ends in disastrous results. It happens time and time again throughout history. It happens with mice and rats in an enclosure. Um, and it will happen with us. It will happen with us someday in the near future. Go back also sometime, look the rest of that video up, but then also uh, go back and check out my live stream number 39. Like two years ago, I did a live stream. It's number 39 on my channel for uh, more explanations, for, for further explanation about this concept biblically, as well as some uh, other like interesting historical examples of that claim. But for tonight, we are going to get into the Bible here in a little bit. But on this, on this more specific topic here tonight, uh, the, mites, the mice and the rats in this experiment didn't have a choice in where they lived and were confined into an enclosure against their will. So this whole experiment itself is sort of flawed from the beginning, right? <laughs> it's not perfect in any way. But uh, populations of animals as well as people do tend to gather and live densely packed into small areas that have just the easiest access to resources or the most reliable access to resources. It's kind of human nature, right? And human beings today, um, at least most of us, do still have the freedom to choose to live outside of cities and these easily reliable resource centers, right? Although it makes for a more difficult life. It's easier to live in the place where resources are abundant, right? Where threats are less prevalent. Most people do choose to live into packed areas, right? <laughs> packed resource-filled areas with, with easy, easy and reliable access to like water and food. And, you know, numbers create, create less threats from uh, nature, from outside um, predators, I guess you would say. Um, and just again, most people, most humans do on their own choose, unlike the mice that weren't allowed to, we do choose to live in the areas with the most resources, with wealth, with safety, with comforts, with ease, security. These places are called cities <laughs> and you have likely lived in one or do currently live in one right now, right? You know, you know, you know, a, a city. Do I, I don't have to define that for you, right? And this common decision to live in cities eventually leads to a rise in destructive social behaviors, unhealthy bodies, and unstable minds. People become dumber and more violent, increasingly selfish and immoral. People who do not have to work for their resources, who do not need to trust or work with others in small tribes or communities in order to survive, who uh, people who are not faced with trials and challenges, people who tend to become weak, stupid, mentally unstable, lazy, selfish, violent, degenerate. And just to put it simply, we become unnatural beings when exposed to unnatural environments. 
And we see this clearly in this mouse utopia experiment where a small population is given safety from outside threats and provided all the stuff they need to survive. The population of the place they are in begins to rise dramatically after a while, right? And these problems begin occurring. And uh, I'm gonna list some problems here that begin occurring. We talked about in the first one. Sorry, the second video got cut off again. I don't know what's up with that. But while I go through this, while I go through the things that happened in this experiment, just you out there, you at home, right here with me live, anointed Enoch chap. <laughs> I won't get to that verse because that's that's awesome. He did post the verse in the chat. Um, my, my three homies, two or three homies over on you on YouTube, my one on Facebook, my two on D Live. Just you know, and then anyone watching this on a later date, you know, listening or watching. When I go through these problems, just question whether these sound familiar. Like, if this just feel close at home with you, right? About what happens to populations of beings when they are densely packed into places where they don't have much threat, threats, outside threats, and they're provided with all the safety and security they could possibly imagine or relatively have, right? So again, these are the problems that start to occur. Eating and drinking become social activities. Group mindsets and cliques begin to form. Resource, resource hoarding increases. Distribution of resources becomes unequal. Younger generations become complacent, stagnant, and weak. Struggling to claim territory or resources held onto selfishly by the older generations. Violent tendencies increase. Homosexual behavior increase increases the mice become noticeably more stupid males begin fighting for acceptance most are left without mates as females begin to selectively breed or even refuse to breed at all some younger generations called the beautiful ones choose to groom themselves instead of competing for resources territory or mates they withdraw from the others choosing to live above the others in the enclosure and begin devoting their lives only to eating, sleeping, and grooming themselves. These mice eventually displayed more homosexual tendencies and became noticeably more stupid. Three groups generally form. The aggressives, the outcasts, and the asocials, or the alphas and the omegas and the sigmas. Mice groupings would pack themselves into only a handful of the living spaces, despite there being plenty of other living spaces available, and even close by. Male mice would begin killing and even eating each other, despite the abundance of food, water, and resources. Again, is any of this sounding familiar yet? <laughs> Does any of this sound familiar to you at all? Eventually, this population enters into a die stage, a quote-unquote die stage, where the population begins to decrease dramatically. The mice reach the stage where they are unable to mentally handle being in contact with such a large amount of individuals. Conflict and violence becomes a way of life. Breeding becomes undesired and even burdensome, even though resources are available and plentiful. The larger the population, the less care and consideration a mother starts giving to its babies. 
As the social bonds break down and survival instincts are no longer necessary, babies are not born and the population decreases dramatically, eventually to zero. As the original instincts and habits that led to survival and reproduction do not return to the new generation of mice and rats. John Calhoun was quoted as saying, in response to this, all of these observations, that their spirit has died. They are no longer capable of executing the more complex behaviors compatible with species survival. The species in such settings die. Calhoun, John Calhoun that is, came to the conclusion that overpopulation would eventually cause catastrophic collapse and destruction of the whole human race. This research is again based on experiments done with mice and rats and not actually like human beings living in reality, right? And his conclusions are pretty secular minded, making the assumption that we are just another sort of animal existing on a randomly created finite place, right? And not actually uniquely created beings made in the image of God whose life have real meaning and purpose in a divinely created place as part of a magnificently orchestrated plan. Excuse me. Beings who have a greater meaning and purpose than just eating, drinking, seeking pleasure, reproducing, and dying. Despite what the people on our screens and those in positions of power tell us. Those who live rurally and more in nature tend to live simple, humble, honest, trusting, hardworking lives. When compared to urban people, the urbanites, uh, rural folks are more likely to not live in debt and less likely to live materialistically, less likely to seek social status or to acquire government power. This ends up creating a large divide between city dwellers and country folks, something that John Calhoun's experiments did fail to replicate. By not giving the mice the opportunity to choose to exit the cities, the quote-unquote cities, or the Utopia 25 or whatever it was called. <laughs> um, these mice, again, were not given an opportunity to leave the cities and return to a more natural, more rural life on their own, right? And again, probably not many would, but the option wasn't given to them. And some might. Some actually probably would take living a more natural life. Those who live in cities usually think of country folks as stupid and ignorant, dangerous and useless, boring and mean. While those who live outside of cities usually think of urbanites as degenerate and heathenistic, insane and lazy, <laughs> weak and destructive. Um, but a newborn baby could take on a radically different life depending on where and by who it was raised, right? We all know this. We all know this. A baby born and raised in like Chicago <laughs> to urbanites is going to go up like is going to grow up radically different like radically different um with a totally different perspective on life and humanity in general with just generally radically different like political leanings and career aspirations 
than a baby with similar genetics born at the exact same time to different parents who live out in the country, right? Who live out in the cornfields of Illinois, just like tens of miles away from Chicago. You're going to end up with two radically different babies, two radically different adults raised by radically different parents, right? Even if just separated by tens of miles. The divide between these like fake baby <laughs> fake family situations I'm making up right here is not physical necessarily it's uh more mental and spiritual and however the results are very real and very apparent and we all know this we all know this to be true if you're a city dweller you know how different country folks are and you know if you if you're a country, if you're from the country, you know how different them city, them city boys are, <laughs> all them city folk are, right? You can see that, you can feel that. We all know it's true. Um, whatever end you happen to be from or in right now, right? So with all that comes bigger philosophical and political issues. Um, I'm going to use abortion and gun control as just our our uh, placeholders for this little thought experiment I'm working on right here. Um, because on a physical level, right, on like a worldly level, there are valid arguments for and against both of these, both of these political debates, right, depending on where you're raised, how you are raised, what your environment is, right? If you are packed into a city with millions of other people, you might not want too many guns around <laughs> that criminals can use to harm you or take your stuff, right? And that's probably mostly too because like police are just a quick phone call away and a few minutes away for the most part, right? You have people with guns that can protect you. You don't need to own one yourself and you probably don't want others to own them if you're living real close and right on top of each other, right? And you also might not want there to be more babies being born right? That will eventually grow up to just gobble up all the resources of the area. Um, you personally might not want to be responsible for the life of, of a child. Um, so you're probably going to do whatever you can, take whatever birth control you can or get whatever kind of abortion you can so that, you know, this little baby doesn't get in the way of uh, your comfortable and fun life. <laughs> or again, gobble up all your own resources, right? Take away your own time and energy. You're going to be more me-focused. While people outside of cities, people outside of cities tend to find abortions to be appalling and stupid as they find families and children to be blessings and a source of strength and prosperity. These country folks also might not might see not owning guns as being delinquent, right? That's like delinquent behavior to people in the country. Um, you know, that the threats posed by nature, whether it be an animal or another human being up to no good, will best be stopped by you possessing, knowing how to use, and being willing to use firearms to protect yourself and your family and those in your general area from external threats, right? animal or human as police are you know not so close by or readily available as compared to a city right if they even exist at all 
And so we see, just in these little hypotheticals I'm, I'm, I'm making up right now, these hypotheticals that ring true, that the general environment alone will change people's perspectives about an issue or situation that both groups are facing, right? On a physical level, on a worldly level, people in the country will typically oppose abortion and support gun ownership, while most city dwellers will support abortion and oppose gun ownership. And these decisions, these thought processes, these camps that will be made are going to be based on their environment, how they are living, right? If they're packed into a city, it's going to change their perspective on life. It's going to change who they are socially, how they behave, what their desires are, right? What they seek. And if you're not, if you're living more rurally, if you have more like actual threats in your life, um, things aren't as easy and comfortable that too is also going to change your perspective on things. It's going to change the way you live, the decisions you make. However, <laughs> you know, however, there is objective truth in reality. There is a correct answer to those <laughs> problems, those debates I brought up, right? There is truth regardless of opinions or social norms. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, there is still objective truth. There is right and wrong. Abortion is, is murder and owning guns is wise. Someone who lives in a city will tend to start believing and acting in ways that are contrary to what is moral and logical <laughs> more often than not. As doing something immoral or godless might often be the best solution for them in that moment. Right? It might make their lives better in that specific environment at that time. But it is not what is best for them spiritually and or eternally. It might be better for them in that here and now, making their lives more fun and enjoyable. But in the long run, is it truly what is best for them? If they want to keep their stuff and live comfortably, they will probably not oppose any evils taking place around them. They will very likely avoid rocking the boat or stopping others from seeking for themselves, right? Standing up and speaking out against the people in your area who are not living righteously will result in a loss of your own stuff and your own safety. You will be targeted. People will try to silence and stop you from disturbing their ease, their comforts, and their pleasures. Your desire to do what is right, what you know to be true and right, at the expense of what other people want, will make you an enemy. It will surely make you an enemy because no one likes a party pooper. Nobody likes a party pooper, right? If there was ever one mouse in that John Calhoun artificial utopia, this mouse utopia experiment, who tries to escape the enclosure and return to a normal life, it will surely be considered crazy or stupid by the rest of the mice. The mouse who tries to stop the violence will be considered weak. The mouse who opposes the degeneracy will be considered a disturbance. The mouse who promotes family values and the blessings of reproduction will be seen as a parasite. The mouse who gives good advice and warns of long-term consequences for self-destructive behaviors will be considered a buzzkill, right? And the mouse that promotes what is good and righteous in a utopia of individualistic pleasure seekers will be considered mean and evil. 
you're going to be a nuisance. You're going to be a disturbance to these self-idolizing people, these self-indulging hedonists, hedonists, right? And all of that leads me to the real point here tonight. So we're all setting everything up for what the real point, why, we're, why are we really diving into all of this tonight, right? The real point here tonight is that the inherent conditions of a city make for a breeding ground of sin and godlessness. Not all, not all, not all, but most. All right, let's just get that off right here. I live, I've lived in cities. I live in a city kind of right now. I get it. Not all, not all, not all, but most. The inherent conditions of a city make for a breeding ground of sin and godlessness. The ease and comfort the safety and security, the abundance of distractions and pleasures, the privileges and freedoms, all make for an environment that leads people into an individualistic, me-centered mindset. Life in a city becomes a me-centered mindset, right? Um, a mind focused on themselves and not a heart focused on what's beyond themselves. People who are living for now, living for this life, and not people with eyes fixated on eternity and living for something greater and beyond themselves. Those raised in or just currently choosing to live in cities or other highly populated spaces are less focused on relying on God and more focused on relying on themselves or if they have to, the people around them. They fall easier into temptations and satanic snares, some out of pure ignorance and some out of just genuine wickedness, right? Some don't really realize what they're falling for and others outright choose to reject God and seek for themselves and they'll find their place amongst others who are doing the same, right? The ignorant ones will see the light when it is shown. They will walk into it and embrace it. The wicked ones will not. They will reject the light at all costs and scurry back into the darkness that they know and love, right? And they will keep living in their cities. The ignorant will end their rebellion against their creator once they realize what the consequences for doing so are, when they realize what they have been doing wrong and seek to course correct. The wicked will not. <laughs> the wicked will not. They will just continue on with their rebellion into eternity while breaking and destroying everything and everyone that they can along the way. These godless folks, both those ignorant ones and the wicked souls, do exist in both the cities and in the country. They're, they're in both places, right? Again, not all, not all, but most. And it's not a universal claim we're making. I'm not stupid, guys. I'm not making universal claims right now. We're generalizing. But the social conditions that arise from the environment with more distractions, ease, safety, and stuff gives people the freedom to rely not on God for survival and abundance, but instead focusing them, their, their, their time, their energy, their resources on themselves, which will always lead to self-destructive behaviors. However, however, the wicked do have a much harder time when hard work and sacrifice 
is required to thrive or even just to survive, right? Their rebellion against God isn't so rewarding or as fun and entertaining or as pleasurable and comfortable, right? Their temporary security and stuff afforded to them in cities or urban environments help them to justify their unrighteousness. While the sacrifice and risk that comes from country living, a more rural lifestyle, just doesn't really make sense for someone with a heart focused on themselves and their right nows, right? Why would you sacrifice and risk? Why would you invest in others, right? If you are focused on living your best life now. Those who want to live their best life now and live in sin gladly are going to do so in cities where things are easier, where things are more fun, where there's more distractions, right? Where they can justify their wickedness easier, where they can hide their wickedness easier. In the gospel books, we see time and time and time again. This isn't like a very clear thing, and I actually haven't even heard a pastor talk about this. There's a revelation I had like a year or two ago where we see time and time and time again in the Gospels, um, the Pharisees of Jerusalem, right? The city folk, <laughs> the ruling elites of the big city of, of the time, right? The Pharisees of Jerusalem, just being completely unable to recognize Jesus Christ as who he was, right? And just totally unable to admit to their own sins and repent right? And this goes also for the Sadducees, who were technically the ruling elites, I guess, the rich young ruler, um, all the other rich young rulers, who uh, were just unable to recognize that the Messiah was here, and that God's kingdom was beginning to truly take shape, right? Well, on the opposite end of that spec, well, well, oppositionally, we see time and time again, the peasants and the tradesmen, the sick and the poor, the weak and the socially outcasted in small towns and in the countrysides, recognizing him right away, right? Receiving his message right away and worshiping him, willing to abandon whatever they had, whatever they were doing, right? And just simply have faith in and follow him. So, you know, those with less, those without, had every reason to live righteously right now, starting right now with eyes fixated on eternity over those who have, who live well now, who have power and status and money and stuff and security, right? Those people who have every reason to reject living morally and focus living on living well right now, right? We see this over and over again. And again, I don't know if I've ever even heard anyone explain this very well, but hopefully I kind of did. And hopefully I kind of still will. What's going on? Trey Bonds in the chat. What's going on, Trey? (laughs) Number one fan. (laughs) Number one fan in the chat. What's going on? Um, (laughs) What's up? Speaking of someone who just left the city and moved to the country, Trey Bonds in the chat. What's up, homie? (laughs) What's going on? He knows I'm right. He knows I'm right. He can back me up. My number one fans got my back on this topic. Um, And I love this. So, yeah, sorry I had a stroke earlier and couldn't read your name. But over on Twitch, my third Twitch, I'm only back down to one. 
I'm back down to my OG Twitch follower, but I had a Twitch guy in the chat and totally got his name wrong. But anointed Enoch Chap, 92 verse 12. Apparently, the book of Enoch, chapter 92, verse 12, reads, Afterwards, in the seventh week, a perverse generation shall arise. Abundant shall be its deeds, and all its deeds perverse. During its completion, the righteous shall be selected from the everlasting plant of righteousness, and to them shall be given the sevenfold doctrine of his whole creation. <laughs> I don't really understand that, but that's kind of what we're talking about, right? A perverse generation shall arise, right? Abundant shall be its deeds, and all its deeds perverse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, victory will defeat you. Yeah. Good vibes, bro. Well planted. Right on, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Love, I tripled my Twitch viewer count. <laughs> That's dope. That's awesome. And we're back on YouTube. We are back on YouTube. Rocking and rolling. So before I get into the biblical response the biblical the the what the bible has to say about cities um it's gonna wanted to show a couple pictures here i think i got this right so yeah julie shout out to julie shout out to the mystic sisters i had them on my podcast back in december go back i don't remember which episode 111 112 something like that 110 111 112 it, the title's Mystic Sisters. Check them out. Go follow Julie and Amy on all the social media places. But they went back to San Francisco recently and posted on their stories some of the craziness that's happening out there. I mean, we all know it. We all, we all know what's up. We don't have to get too into it. But obviously just the end result of people living in cities is insanity. <laughs> and she took this picture, you know, street graffiti that just says, I hate people. <laughs> And she wrote, how can people living in such a beautiful place be so nihilistic? And my response, and I told her, I sent a little DM to her, um, that's just kind of explained, like, this is the inevitable result, right? This is the inevitable result of people living in cities. They start to hate each other. <laughs> they start to resent each other. They start wanting abortions and killing babies because people become threats, because, yeah, like people are a safety to you. They're also a threat to you. They're also potentially taking away resources that could be yours. You know, buying that last ticket to that concert you want to see. Cutting you off in line. <laughs> stealing from you. Robbing from you. Taking that job opportunity away from you, you know. People become like obstacles in your way of personal gain. And, again, living your best life now. Um... And so you just grow to hate each other. And again, when we're put in unnatural environments, we become unnatural. God didn't make us to hate each other. God made us to love and to worship, right? We are vessels of worship. We are vessels of love. We are to love our neighbor. We're called to do it many times. But like the Pharisees of Jerusalem, like the Sodomites of San Francisco, like the mice in the Utopia, we all eventually become unnatural, become angry and hateful. We become the opposite of how we how we are supposed to be, how God created us to be, right? And we end up doing this. I hate people. And we become nihilistic. 
Just a quick little meme here. I'll read it out for the podcasters out there. Top pick shows, you know, just a beautiful little like farm and little church community in the countryside. And the text reads, this is where I live. I've been told to take better care of the environment by people who live here. And the bottom slide, you know, is just a city skyline that's just full of smog and pollution, right? And isn't that just true? All these Green New Deal environmentalist people, climate change people <laughs> promoting climate change uh, fear mongering, right? It's like the people who are actually living well, who actually are like living more in tune with the environment, who actually are living less pollutant lives. <laughs> are the people that get mocked and demeaned by these people in these in these cities where's this picture by these people living in this modern hellscapes here these concrete jungles just concrete everywhere gas and oil burning you know everything everything you make and use just like has some kind of byproduct byproduct being made some kind of chemical that needs to be like thrown into a river or thrown into an ocean right or uh, shot up into the air to get rid of, like to make you your stuff, <laughs> your materialistic stuff, your phone, your clothes, your water bottles, your car, your battery, like all your stuff in your city, your materialistic possessions that allow you to live like nice and comfortably in the here and now. Those are the people in those cities doing all that that are telling country folks that they can't have cows. <laughs> and they can't have a tractor on their property, you know? And they're the bad ones, right? And of course it's projection, and of course it's insanity, and of course it's being caused by people becoming unnatural, in an unnatural state of mind, in a state of being, because they're living in such an unnatural environment. And... I don't want to get too dark and crazy, but I just felt like we should read this. The Frankfurt School was born in 1923. You conspiracy-minded folks might already know all about this. And I'm not even going to dive to all of it, but look up the Frankfurt School, Frankfurt School out of Frankfurt, Germany, and what it's done, what its goals were, what it's accomplished. And just this little clip here, um, we'll snip it. We'll read off. Said in a, born in 1923, a group of determined Germans devised a plan to subvert Western culture and rot it from within. When Hitler came to power, the institute was closed, and its members, by various routes, fled to the United States and migrated to major U.S. universities: Columbia, Princeton, Brandeis, and California, Berkeley. UC Berkeley. Here are some of their stated goals, a bit about how they were to be achieved. Number one, the creation of racism offenses. Two, continual change to create confusion. Three, the teaching of sex and homosexuality to children. Four, the undermining of schools and teachers' authority. Five, huge immigration to humanity. Six, the promotion of excessive drinking. I'd also say drug use and or sex <laughs> and porn. Seven, emptying of churches, the breakdown and division of churches. Eight, an unreliable legal system with bias against victims of crime. 
Number nine, dependency on the state and or state benefits. Number 10, control and dumbing down of media. And 11, encouraging the breakdown of family. One of the main ideas of the Frankfurt School was to exploit Freud's idea of pansexualism, the search for pleasure, the exploitation of the differences between the sexes, the overthrowing of traditional relationships between men and women to further their aims. They would attack the authority of the father, deny the specific roles of father and mother, and wrest away from families their rights as primary educators of their children. Abolish differences in the education of boys and girls. Abolish all forms of male dominance, hence the presence of women in the armed forces, and declare women to be an oppressed class and men as oppressors. And I just wanted to bring this up and show this and read this, I guess, just to kind of point out that eventually people in cities are going to become insane. <laughs> and there's going to be groups of people, like there's going to be these groups that eventually form that are so opposed to humans, so opposed to God, like so opposed to God and his creation that they'll do anything and everything to subvert it and destroy it and divide it, right? They'll divide the church. They'll break up families. They'll subvert education. They'll get rid of authority structures. Everything that like God wants us to do, these cities will eventually lead people to conspire and scheme and plot to destroy it all. So they can just continue living nice and comfortably in their cities, in control, with resources readily available, with pleasures and comforts, with no outside threats, with this illusion that all life is good, that their whole life is good and comfortable, everything's set, they don't need anything, and they'll live long, happy, healthy lives, right? Before they die and enter into the blackness and an eternal nothingness, right? But we know that's wrong. We know that's not true, right? We know there are good, true, and beautiful things. We know God created us with meaning and purpose. We know we have a reason to exist and that we are existing in this way for a reason, right? Did I just double, double speak there? <laughs> Did I just repeat myself there? But we know that God wants us to live a certain way, right? And when we live in cities, it eventually makes us become so selfish so greedy, so so me-focused that we start abandoning God and his plan, his creation. And we start not appreciating his creation. We start subverting his truth. We start eroding away what, what his authority is or like what his role is in our lives. And we start to just slowly try to become gods ourselves, right? We start to slowly start eliminating our threats. We start to slowly start... You know, breaking down family units so that we can be in control of population. Like I was saying earlier with that potential like eugenics <laughs> advocate video. Um, am I making any sense? Am I, am I, am I making any sense? <laughs> Sorry if I'm not. But this is just the inevitable result. Like Satanism and like stuff like this, the Frankfurt School, where people just are trying to undo God and trying to become God themselves. And trying to like invert and subvert everything that is good, true, and beautiful. And make everything false, ugly, and lies. That's the inevitable result of people living in unnatural environments. They become unnatural. They become, their, their, their desire to live well now, their desire to live 
for themselves and become gods themselves distances them from God and almost causes them to oppose him and in any and every way they possibly can, right? And so they'll start breaking down the family. They'll start turning boys into girls and girls into boys. They'll start trying to promote like homosexual relationships, right? They'll start to promote like children being disobedient to parents, women being disobedient, you know, wives being disobedient to their husbands. Like everything we're supposed to do that God wants us from us, that God needs us to do or wants us to do or has created us to be and to do, these people are going to try to do the opposite. They're going to try to subvert and undo all of that. And it's because they're living so unnaturally. They're living so comfortably. They don't have stress in their life. They don't have struggle in their life. They don't have a need or desire to rely on God. They don't become thankful to God for what they do have, right? They don't become dependent on God to get them through the struggles of their life. They just live well. They just avoid pleasure, or avoid pain and seek pleasure at all times. And doing the right thing is not that. <laughs> doing the right thing, which usually requires sacrifice and hard work, right? Um, working hard, ser- providing services to others, helping others at your own expense. It's not going to happen for these folks, right? So let's get in. We'll close it off with uh, the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about cities, right? What does the Bible have to say about this? The Bible in all of human existence falls into a story of two cities. You have the city of man, you have the city of man, and you have the city of God. You have two cities. Which way, Western man? Which way, Western man? Are you going to go live in the city of man, the city built by man on this earth? Are you going to seek to enter into the city of God, an eternal resting place? After the first man and women were exiled from God's presence and their sons began competing and killing each other, also leading to them distancing themselves from the presence of their Lord, their God, Cain's son Enoch, shout out Enoch in the chat, Cain's son Enoch went away and built a city. The first couple generations of man made ignorant mistakes that led them away from righteousness and distanced themselves from God. But not long after came generations that sought to deliberately escape the presence of the Lord. The Lord put a mark on the man to provide security for him, but he didn't trust in God's security. So he built himself a city to try to create his own security. He built a city with the intention of providing for himself. Then when that plan inevitably fell, (laughs) when that plan inevitably fell apart and God had to intervene to save man from himself, he reset the realm with a great flood. The people who began repopulating afterwards eventually found a location of great abundance again settled there, and again began to build themselves a city called Babel. And this time, the city of man would even build a massive tower that would take them directly and physically up to heaven, becoming their own gods, right? Seeking to become God themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves, to solve their own problems, and to find their own solutions, to provide for themselves, and to rely on themselves. This is the spirit of man, 
People who think they don't need God. They don't need his glory. They don't need his grace. And they carve out glory for themselves. They make for themselves. They take for themselves. They provide for themselves. They protect themselves. And they live for themselves. What happened at Babel is the precautionary tale of what happens when humans set their heart not on living righteously. Not, sorry. What happened at Babel, sorry, you guys are distracting me. What happened at Babel is the precautionary tale of what happens when humans set their hearts not on living righteously and focusing on eternity, but instead choose to live well now for worldly gains and glory. Even after the fall of this tower and a relocation of all its people for their own good by their creator, the city of man's spirit continues on and becomes Babylon, another man-made city that is set against God and set against God's people, that conquers and takes, indulges and consumes, breaks and destroys. Then another city is established. <laughs> it's like, when, when are we going to learn our lesson, right? Then another city is established, this time by the people chosen by God. And it is called Jerusalem, a city on a hill that is originally intended to be a dwelling place of God's people and a central location of worship and praise for God. But even this city of God on earth, ends up falling back into another failed city of man. A city where God had come down to dwell amongst his people in the temple that they originally built for him turns into one where the leaders are false and corrupt. The people turn away from God. They are punished. They are taken away from their city into exile to learn lessons and learn to turn away from their many sins. Then they return to their city only to be welcomed back, only to welcome back their worldly pursuits, right? And their unrighteous behaviors. So God comes again to them. Just keeps having so much patience with us, right? God comes back again to them in a very physical form this time. And the people go so far in their rejection of him that they make the decision to put him to death, to crucify him for challenging their stuff and their safety. So we see over time, time and time and time again, that not only the city of man, exemplified throughout the Bible as Babylon, but also even Jerusalem itself, the holy city intended to be a place of God and his people, eventually fails and falls. As the people begin to live for themselves and depend on each other, they turn away from a life devoted to God and an eternity reunited with him. But, but there's good news. <laughs> there is good news, y'all. There is a city destined to succeed. It is a new Jerusalem, a new form of habitation of man living by and for the glory of God. A new temple where God visits us that isn't a physical space on a plot of land, but a place within our beings where his spirit dwells. And in the end, 
John writes in Revelation of a divine vision given to him, where a physical New Jerusalem, a new city of God, comes down that lives not for itself, but for the eternal glory of the creator of heaven and earth. And so God, throughout the Bible story and our entire history, has taken this thing called the city that was created to keep him out, and like everything else in the world, he's making it new. He's transforming it into a city that he intends to live in forever with his people. All of those whose names are written into the Lamb's book of life. That this is the city that you and I want to have our roots in. This is the city we want to live in forever. Let go of a desire for stuff and security right now. These are illusions and temporary things that Satan uses to lead us away from our creator and his new city. You will die someday. Breaking news. Sorry to inform you, but you will die someday. You will enter into an eternity beyond this life in this place, and you will not take anything from here with you. Is what you are doing now worth the eternal consequences? Are the comforts and things of this world really worth losing your place in a glorious eternity with the all-loving, all-powerful creator of everything? Is your city life really worth it? Is your ease and comfort really worth it? Your safety, your security, your stuff, your things. Is it worth it? So that's going to be it for me tonight. Shout out Trey in the chat. Shout out Enoch in the chat. <laughs> Coming in hot with like a perfect Bible verse apparently with a perfect name. Shout out to DLive watching, Facebook watching, back on YouTube. Thanks for Thank you for letting me back on YouTube again, guys. I'll be, I promise I'll be nice. <laughs> I promise I'll stop spilling the beans on some stuff. Fingers are crossed on that, right? But that's going to be it for me tonight. LibertyLinks.io slash Jonathan Corey. Um, rate, and, rate and review my channel wherever you're watching or listening to this. It helps me out, allegedly, maybe. Share my streams with uh, people you think might like it or need to hear some stuff. <laughs> need to hear some stuff that I say. Some of the garbage I spew out. Um, thanks in advance for all the help and support. I love y'all. As always, go out this week. Do good. Be good. Love and be loved. Seek what is good, true, and beautiful. I should be back next Monday night live. If not, some other Monday night coming up. Should have a guest. If not, we're going to either do like a backup stream topic or uh, come back that next week. So I'll catch you soon. Check my socials for the updates on that. I love you all truly. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to stop me from doing that. I'm going to keep loving you anyways. I'm going to keep forgiving you anyways. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Have a good one, y'all.